You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. Well, good morning. So good to see you and good to be here on a wonderful Mother's Day. It's a great day to remember our moms and to remember those who have raised us and who taught us so much, you know, and I can honestly say that I wouldn't exist if it weren't for my mother. So I'm really grateful for her. And I guess my dad too, but he gets another day. His day is not today. But we should remember not only our physical mothers, but also our moms of the faith. Uh, Women who encouraged us, who discipled us, who trained us, who taught us what it means to follow Jesus and to honor him. And so on a day like today, I'm grateful for uh, my children's ministry leader growing up, Candy Lartigue, who chose curriculum, who prayed for us, uh, her leadership, uh, the camps, and just all the stuff that was organized for kids. It, it molded me and shaped me into who I am today. Because this is what the Bible teaches us that we often don't hear in the culture, that women play a critical, essential, an indispensable role in advancing the kingdom of Christ. From moms to aunts to grandmas, student ministry leaders, children's ministry leaders, and faithful church members, even to Hebrew midwives here in Exodus chapter one. Women are vital to advance the kingdom of God. And that's what we see in today's text. So if you have a Bible or a phone, or you can just look on the screen, you can turn to Exodus chapter one. When I was planning this series, I had no idea that this text would land on Mother's Day, a Pharaoh attacking newborn babies in Israel and the powerful leadership of these Hebrew midwives. But this is where the Lord has us. And so we saw last week how the Israelites are now slaves in Egypt and they are growing exponentially, but Pharaoh is working them like crazy. He has put them in slave labor camps. He is making them build military bases for him, hoping that they'll be too tired to be fruitful and multiply, if you understand what the Bible's saying. Well, his plan didn't work. Now there's even more Israelites than ever, so he has a new plan. He wants to war on the women and children. So as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand for the reading of the word of God, and you can also follow along on the screen. In beginning in verse 15, our brother Moses tells us by the power of the Spirit, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, the first whose name was Shifra and the second whose name was Pua. When you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very numerous. Since the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Pharaoh then commanded all his people, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now as we look at your word. Would you show us by the power of the spirit of the risen Christ what it means to fear God? 
to defy evil in this present age and to walk with you faithfully, King Jesus. So help us now. It's in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. When you see that famous illustration, Rosie the Riveter, hopefully you know and remember what this is about. It's a, a call to arms for the women of the United States while tons of men are off at war battling Nazis. There was a need for the workforce to continue, for ammunitions to still be made. So they put out this ad to encourage women, you can do it. We need you in the battle. We need you in the munitions department. You're in the fight at home and abroad. And brothers and sisters, the passage we read today, this is an ancient Rosie the Riveter. Ladies, you are in the war. In a culture like ours where women are degraded, taken advantage of, paid unequally, treated with disrespect, and the children in, in the womb, or they're just viewed as dispensable and inconveniences to the life that people want. Exodus shows us that the war on women and children, that you women, you can push back the darkness. You can defy the serpent. You can defy the political powers of darkness and point others to the kingdom of God. And here's what we see. Women, you are engaged in kingdom warfare. You are in the middle of kingdom warfare. If you remember, look at verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, the first of whose name was Shipra, the second whose name was Pua. And now and he calls them to destroy these children. And we saw last week, remember, Pharaoh is not just this agitated tyrant. We saw last week how he deals shrewdly with God's people, like the serpent in Genesis chapter three, who is shrewd, more shrewd than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he deceives Adam and Eve and they fall into sin. They eat the fruit that God said they are not to eat. And then God makes a promise to Adam. He makes a promise to Eve. And then God makes a promise to Satan, that ancient serpent. And he tells him, I will put hostility, tension, between you and the woman, between your offspring. How does the serpent, how does Satan have offspring? By the people who live like Satan, the people who follow his adopted way of being. And between her offspring, he will strike your head. This offspring to come that will be born of a woman, he will crush, the word literally means, crush your head, Satan, and you will strike his heel. Yeah, you'll bite his heel. You'll nip at his heel like a little annoying chihuahua. My sister-in-law has chihuahua, sorry. But there, your head will be crushed as you bite his heel. This is the promise, the mega theme, thread promise of the scriptures. A war between the serpent and a war between the son of man, the offspring, the savior, Christ. So when Pharaoh is attacking these children, he's not just agitated. He is attacking this promise, acting like the serpent. This is battle between the serpent and the promises of God. And who is at the heat of this battle? Who is in the heart of it? Two women, verse 15, Shipra and Pua. Now you should know that there, there's, there's thousands of Hebrews, thousands of children, thousands of women. It's not like they only had two midwives to deliver all these babies. So who are these women? These women are the head of the HMAE, the Hebrew midwives of ancient Egypt. 
They're the head of the guild. And so Pharaoh calls them in, but notice what Moses calls him. How does Moses describe this man? Verse 15, 15, the king of Egypt. This is significant. See, Pharaoh and all the Egyptians, they think Pharaoh is a god. But Moses says, king of Egypt. He is no God, but he's gonna act like God, thinking he can command who lives and who dies, thinking he can take life and he can give life. And look at his command to these two leaders of the Hebrew Midwife Association of Ancient Egypt. Verse 16, when you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. So in your Bible, when it says, observe them as they deliver, your translation may say something like, as they sit on the birth stool. Literally, it means watch the stones. Watch the bricks. Here's how they would deliver in ancient Egypt. Sat on two bricks. Midwife, hut, catch the baby. Two bricks. If you did not give birth on two bricks, feel free to say amen. And who knows, maybe brick birth will catch on as a new wave, a way that people don't give birth at hospitals. Who knows? What is Pharaoh doing here? He is acting like the serpent. If it's a boy, kill him. Kill the offspring. Kill the children of Eve. Because I don't want my head crushed. He's trying to stop the Messiah from being born. He doesn't want the Redeemer, the deliverer of God's people to arrive So Pharaoh is acting like Satan and trying to subvert the word of God. And he's trying to stop God from establishing his kingdom. And beloved, right now, you are engaged in the exact same kingdom warfare. Every day of your life is a war against the temptations of the world, the sinful pleasures of society, all engineered by the serpent. And you must choose faithfully to follow the way of Christ. And Specifically, ladies, listen, there will be women and and there will be men that try to take advantage of you, that try to intimidate you, that try to mistreat you, that tell you to do things that you shouldn't do and things that God doesn't want you to do. That is the offspring of Satan and you can and you must resist. And any man that acts that way, that abuses, that intimidates women, he is not acting like a man of God. He is acting like a reptile. He is the offspring of Satan. And you notice why Pharaoh says, let the girls live? Why does he say, let the girls live? Get rid of the guys. Because he doesn't perceive women to be any kind of threat to him. He he thinks women are no military threat. He thinks we can keep the women turn them into slaves for our army. They can marry Egyptians. They can worship our gods. We can get rid of these Hebrews once and for all. Little girls are no threat to me. And I couldn't help but think, as I studied Pharaoh in this passage this week, of the testimony at the Olympic scandal against Larry Nassar, where one woman testified so powerfully to him, little girls don't stay little forever. They grow into strong women that return to destroy your world. Pharaoh thinks these little girls in Israel are no problem to me. How does that turn out for him? Two daughters of Israel defy him. Let the Hebrew boys live. And by the time of the exodus out of Egypt, 600,000 men alone are counted leaving Pharaoh's rule. And all his armies drown in the sea. And then we see next week, in fact, 
Pharaoh doesn't need to worry about the little Hebrew girls, these Hebrew daughters. He needs to worry about his own daughter in his house who adopts Moses, raises him, trains him and becomes his own downfall. And you too, ladies, Satan hopes and dreams that he can keep you occupied from the serious things of God. He hopes he can get you to parent out of fear and not faith in the risen Christ. He hopes you'll be more attracted to the American dream than a vision of the fame of Jesus for your life and your family. So who do you follow? Whose side are you on in this kingdom warfare? Do you defy Satan or are you defying God? Do you go against Satan in his ways or do you chronically go against God in his ways? What, this, what the Bible, what the scripture is calling us to today is to defy the enemy. Defy the enemy. Look at verse 17. So Pharaoh tells them, kill the boys. Verse 17, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them and they let the boys live. They didn't do it. And the Bible says, here's why. They feared God. They feared the Lord more than they feared what Pharaoh could do to them. Pharaoh could take their life. But they gave their chief allegiance to God and not the government. Friends, civil disobedience is and has always been an attribute of the people of God. From a group of men in Tennessee holding a sign that says, I am a man, to Rosa Parks riding the bus, to Hebrew midwives, Peacefully defying and resisting evil is our calling. Especially when the lives of other image bearers of God and when human dignity is on the line. Right now, the serpent wants everyone in this room to give in to racial profiling, fear, and prejudice based on skin color and nationality. It's exactly what Pharaoh does. He is terrified of these Israeli immigrants and he wants them eliminated. The serpent wants you to do the same thing but you must defy the schemes of the serpent. Sisters, brothers, your resistance to the cosmic powers and the culture wars is a radical gospel posture. Every Christian woman that stands against these cosmic powers and these culture wars, you are like that man in in the square with the tank barreling down on him, standing firm. You are the true and better Amazonian wonder woman. Wonder Woman wears Christian mom pajamas. Because of your allegiance to the crucified and risen Christ, you can defy the actions of the serpent. This is what you need to know. The Bible's telling us Satan hates kids. He hates them. And he hates them because they remind him of his downfall that he couldn't stop Jesus from being born. He couldn't snuff out the family line of Jesus here in Exodus. And he couldn't stop it in Matthew when Herod orders the exact same thing, kill all the, kill all the Israelite boys in Bethlehem two years and under. And every child in the womb, everyone swaddled in our arms, the serpent hates them and you, but you have a key role in advancing the kingdom. Just think about these Hebrew midwives for a second. Imagine they didn't defy Pharaoh. Imagine they obeyed Pharaoh. They did what he said. Exodus would be one chapter short. It would end in verse 15. 
the Bible would be over. This is, this is how long the Bible would be. If they would have obeyed Pharaoh, there would be no Moses. Then there would be no Exodus out of Egypt. There would be no nation of Israel. And if there's no nation, then there's no King David. And if there's no King David, then there's no Mary. And if there's no Mary, then there's no Jesus of Nazareth to save us from our sins, to die in our place, to crush the head of the serpent and to rise from the dead and give new life to everyone who believes in him, forgiveness and salvation. All because of these Hebrew midwives, the gospel goes forward. The kingdom goes forward. Your obedience to God is never a small thing. It gives glory to God and is for the good of others. So I want to call you to defy the powers of the age. We had a snake in our house recently. Someone, always people ask, how big was the snake? What kind was it? I'm like, I don't know. I can't Google fast enough. I mean, that snake had to be six feet long, <laughs> 10 inches long. I don't know. It was too, its existence was too much. It was horrifying to have a snake in your house. And Natalie, my wife, is on the couch and she sees it on the other end of the couch on the floor, just coiled up on the floor. Jeff, what is that? I go over and like, it's a snake. And I just slowly start leaving. Got in my car, drove away. <laughs> and she's like, you got to get it. You got to kill it. I'm like, okay, what, how am I going to kill this thing? I don't have a snake grabber, you know, and then... So my first thought was, I'll just take a basketball and I'll just dribble it on it as hard as it, I can. Maybe I can stun it. It's like, if I miss or don't dribble hard enough, I don't know. I don't want to ruin my basketball. So what am I, what am I going to do? And eventually it just came to the point of, Natalie, just get me a bag. She went and got me a H-E-B, little, you know, plastic grocery bag. I take it. This one has a hole in it. Give me one without a hole. I need one, a real bag. It brings me another bag. I put the bag on my hands and I look at her and say, tell the world my story. And I jump on, I jump on the snake. She's screaming. Everyone's screaming. She almost falls off the couch and, and just, I, that snake's going crazy in my hands. I open the door and I just throw it outside. I come back. She goes, did you kill it? Oh no, I just threw it outside. I, I didn't kill it. I tell that story with her permission because yeah, my wife, she may not be able to catch a snake, but she treads on serpents when she prays for our kids when she folds their clothes. Ladies, you defy the principalities and powers when you pray for your kids, when you tuck them in and tell them Jesus loves them and you pray for them and you let them hear Jesus save Oliver. You defy the serpent when you sing to God on Sundays and in your car and in your home and you open that Bible and feed your soul. You defy the dark powers when you bring your kids to church and they hear the Bible and they hear about Jesus in here and in the kids' buildings. And every time you tell them, I love you, you make the serpent cringe. You defy Satan and his schemes when you open up your home to foster children, when you adopt, when you care for orphans, when you, when you bring people of other races into your home and you serve pro-life causes when you love and serve the elderly in your community that are often forgotten. Ladies, you defy the darkness when you let your light shine before others. Fearing God, living for God, making much of Jesus and showing others this is what it looks like to follow Christ. And you receive more honor, more honor than the most powerful man in the world. 
Do you notice what Pharaoh's name is? We don't have his name. Pharaoh is never named in Exodus 1, Exodus 2, and the whole book of Exodus, we never get Pharaoh's name. But whose names do we get? Two midwives, two measly, low-level midwives in the whole rank and power system and structure of Egypt, Shipra and Pua. You know why? Because they feared God and they received more honor than Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's care so much about their names. They have giant sarcophagi and, and golden tombs and they're bare with gold and King Tut and all of their names matter so much. But God says in the Bible, you know who gets more honor? Those who fear me. Not someone who goes against me. And ladies and brothers, you receive more honor from God when you walk in his ways when you fear God above all and you take that risk that is right to love and serve others. This is what they do. Look at verse 18. Obviously, Pharaoh realizes uh, there's a lot of, I'm hearing a lot of Hebrew boys crying. I'm seeing a lot of Hebrew baby boys crawling around on the pyramids. What's happening here? Verse 18. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this and let the boys live? Hebrew, he calls them in. You didn't do what I told you. Their answer, 19. The midwives said to Pharaoh, the Hebrew women, they're better than the Egyptian women. It's pretty much what they, what they say. The Hebrew women, they're not like the Egyptian women for they are vigorous. They are studs. They are hosses. And they give birth before the midwife can get to them. Now, some people think, well, maybe the midwives didn't lie to Pharaoh. Maybe they really are just giving birth really quickly. I don't buy that because the Bible explicitly says, the scripture explicitly says, they did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live. They had a choice and they let them live. And then people see this and go, see, they lied. They lied to Pharaoh. It's wrong. The Bible's messed up. How could they lie to Pharaoh? The scripture says, don't lie. And they lied. This is all wrong. Do you see what they did though? They saved a generation, multiple generations. And ultimately, they played a role in salvation being offered to everyone in this room. Listen, there are times in kingdom warfare when being a part of gospel mission and making disciples and making much of Jesus, when you are defying the enemy, you will have to be minimally deceptive for the good of others. Listen, there are times in gospel mission, making disciples, making much of Jesus, going after the good of others, where you will have to be minimally deceptive for the good of others. You can contrast the shrewdness of Pharaoh and the midwives. Midwives are being shrewd, but it's different. Pharaoh was shrewd for his own good, selfish, Satan-like. The midwives are shrewd for the good of others. They're selfless, risk their lives, didn't take lives, Christ-like, as Jesus laid down his life on the blood-splattered cross for us. So we take risks, like they take risks in the cause of Christ for the good of others. This is the key. The deception to this evil government was for the good and flourishing of others. Not so you can get a tax break. And I'm going to stick it to the man. That's not the same thing. So like when missionaries duct tape thousands of dollars to their stomachs and thighs, and bring it to churches underground all around the world. Is that wrong? Is God angry about that? 
smuggling in Bibles in countries where the Bible is outlawed, illegally broadcasting sermons and Bible teaching on satellite feeds that the government in Iran cannot stop. Is that wrong? When a government in the Middle East asks me, what are you doing here? Should I say, oh, I'm here to help spread the gospel and see Muslims converted and to follow Christ? Handcuffs, boom, gone. No, they tell us, say, I'm here visiting friends. When a boss tells you, stop talking about the gospel at work, do you? Never. When the Center for Medical Progress and David Daleiden, those undercover videos exposing the evilness of Planned Parenthood, he tricked them, deceived them and said, oh, I'm working with companies looking to partner with Planned Parenthood. Was that wrong? If you are a Pharisee, yes, it's wrong. Because what do the Pharisees tell Jesus? You're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. Shame on you, Jesus. But Jesus says, you don't understand the law. You understand the letter of the law. You understand the sentences and the grammar of the law, but you don't understand the heart of the law. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, all your might, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus wasn't wrong for healing on the Sabbath because he was, he was doing it for the good of others. Pharisees don't understand the heart of the law. And there are times in gospel mission and for the good of others, where you have to defy and pull a fast one on evil. The midwives pulled a fast one on Pharaoh for the good of others. Think of Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad. Think of Corey Tinboom hiding Jews from the Gestapo, the police of Nazi Germany, and how many she saved. Defying evil for the good of others, made in the image of God, is the right risk to take defying others for the good, defying evil for the good of others who are made in the image of God is the right risk to take. And you will make these decisions in your life all the time. If, if you are engaged in kingdom warfare, if you are trying to defy the enemy because your allegiance to Christ and know the war rages on. The war rages on. Look at verse 22. So God was good to the midwives to give them families there. He blesses them. Then 22, Pharaoh then commanded all his people. Pharaoh says, I'm not just gonna tell the Hebrew women to do this, the Hebrew midwives. I'm gonna tell my Gestapo, my police, my enforcers, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. Pharaoh turns to his people, throw the boys in the Nile. The serpent is still at work here and today attacking the worth and dignity of human beings. To those with Down syndrome being aborted in mass in Iceland, where Iceland, they boast about we've eliminated Down syndrome because they're eliminating the people that have it, taking a cue from the Nazis. And here in the United States, millions of dollars being spent for the right to abortion in the U.S. From these giant headline on the internet, publicized sins, but also the serpent is at work and little feelings and little sentences where you're kind of annoyed by kids. You don't see them as a blessing for the Lord. And even the serpent is behind the kind of counsel that Christians give newly married Christian couples 
wait and have kids as long as you can. What's being communicated? Kids hamper your life rather than they're a blessing from the Lord. They're a blessing. And, and then you have people saying, oh, wait and have kids as long as you can. Wait and have kids as long as you can. And then all throughout the church, there are other families going, God, give us kids now. God, give us kids now. Praying for years. Here's what I also know about this room and just the statistics that are out there. I'm sure some women here have given in to the serpent and took human life, just like Pharaoh. And I'm sure some men encouraged it in this room, just like Pharaoh. Like Pharaoh, you took a place meant for life and turned it into a place of death. That's what the Nile River is. The Nile River was to Egyptians seen as a source of life. They even sang, they have a hymn to the Nile. And the first line in their hymn to the Nile goes like this. Hail to thee, O Nile, that issues from the earth and comes to keep Egypt alive. They viewed the Nile as a source of life. And what Pharaoh did, Pharaoh took a source of life and then he then turned it into a source of death. And this really is the essence of all of our sin, isn't it? Things designed for life by God. Things designed for good by God. And we turn them into sin and sources of death. But friends, the good news of Christianity is that Jesus, the eternal son of God, that he came to earth and he took what was a source of death, a Roman cross, being crucified naked in public, pinned to a cross like an insect. And he took a source of death and he turned it into a source of life. That if you believe in him, that Jesus really did die for your sins, that all of your, all of your mistreatment, all of your sin, all of your abuse, all of your sources of death were put on him that he took the punishment for all of your sins, died in your place so you can be forgiven. If you'll trust in him, Jesus says, I will forgive all of your sins and you can have eternal life and you can have new life with me and you can live forever in my kingdom. And Jesus took a tomb, a place for the dead, and he went in dead. And then three days later, Jesus came out of that tomb alive. And if you trust in Jesus, your past, your sources of death become life. Your past becomes dead. And now you receive new life with the risen Christ. Have you looked to the crucified and risen Christ for your salvation? Have you asked him to save you? Have you looked to that source of death, the cross, the tomb, and now see this is the source of my life, my forgiveness, my freedom? Believe in him and you will be redeemed from all of your sins. And you'll be welcomed by the king, not just by the king of Egypt, but the king of the universe. And you won't have to be like Rosie the Riveter and think we can do it. We can do it. I can do it. But you can humbly and happily say about Christ, he did it. He won my victory. Victory in Jesus, my Savior, forever. Fight the good fight of the faith. Walk with Christ. Defy the serpent. And know you are now more than conquerors through him who loved you, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.